listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. Hosted by high-stakes headhunter, author, and professional speaker, Scott Love. Hi, this is Scott Love, and thanks for joining me on the Rainmaking Podcast. I'm excited about our guest today, Deb Zahn. We have her on today's show and also next week's show. We're breaking the topic the path to closing a deal into two different sections. Let me tell you a little bit about Deb. She is a sought-after consultant with 10 years of successful consulting under her belt. She's a go-to source in her market, and she routinely brings in six and seven figures a year and has built a steady, reliable pipeline of work. Her consulting methods turn her clients into her biggest fans and best marketers. Deb also is the host of the Craft of Consulting podcast, which features other successful consultants who share their strategies and insights about building their consulting businesses. Now, remember, even if you're not into in the consulting industry, we can always learn from those who do sell their services to sophisticated prospects and clients. I hope you enjoy the time that we share today with Deb. Thanks for listening. Hey, this is Scott Love. Thanks for joining me on the Rainmaking Podcast. Today, we have Deb Zahn joining us, and we're going to be talking about the path to closing a deal. Deb, thanks for joining me on the show today. Thanks so much, Scott. It's a pleasure. So give everybody an idea of what your story is when you got into business, when you got into your professional career. What did you start at, and how did you kind of make your way today to the work that you're doing? You bet. So I am two things right now. I'm a practicing healthcare consultant. And then I also have a business where I help consultants start, build and grow mm -hmm. their own consulting business. And I, I started my career in healthcare long, long, long time ago without real good deliberation. I actually was a temp <laughs> after school and after undergraduate school. And I had to pick, I was working at Kaiser Permanente and for Arthur Anderson. And I had to pick between them. I think given what we now know <laughs> that happened with Arthur Anderson, I made a really good choice and good, I picked good. Kaiser. Yeah, Kaiser's so, a great company too. Oh, it's a wonderful company. So I was in healthcare for over 20 years in you know various roles when I made the transition to being a consultant. And I started at a, what at that time was a small and, and now it's a much larger national healthcare consulting firm, mm -hmm. but it was a firm that hired professionals who they expected to go out and get business. So it wasn't like one of the big firms where you get assigned things. They expected you to show up with your Rolodex, and I'm dating oh, myself by saying no Rolodex. <laughs> and, you right, had to, right. <laughs> and you had to basically go out and get business, not just for yourself, but as a principal, you had to get also business for other people at the firm. So I had to learn painstaking process of how to do that. And I was at the firm for just under 10 years. And in that time, people started to come to me because people, you know, we'd have these really smart professionals show up and they would suddenly say, what do you mean? I got to go get business. I have no idea how to do that. And somebody would say, you know what? You should go talk to Deb. She'll help you figure that out. And so just because I don't like to see people suffer, I started helping people figure out their path to getting business and closing deals and everything in between. 
And I became independent just about a year and a half ago. I still work with the firm. It's a great firm. But I went independent and then also launched the craft of consulting for the purpose of being able to help more people because I love consulting so much. I love the freedom and the flexibility. And I want people to suffer less and be successful faster. That's great. Well, that's a great way to kind of bring everything to what's obviously a satisfying and successful career path for you. And I like the fact that when you started out into this, you started out in a sales role and a business development role, getting work, trying to reach out to people and get them to sign the contract. And that's exactly what we're talking about today. So tell me about the process of closing a deal. And for definitions, what would you, what would be your definition of closing a deal? What does that mean to you? So closing a deal is actually signing a contract and starting the work. So anybody who's been in professional services for a while knows that just because you submit a proposal doesn't mean you get the contract. And just because you get the contract doesn't actually mean the work starts because Mm -hmm. the world is an uncertain place. Mm -hmm. And so it's actually signing it and starting to do the good work you want to do for the client. And even sometimes firms charging retainers, there's a transaction of money that goes along with that too. That's right. That's right. So if you're getting paid either a retainer or a value-based payment arrangement, and there's an upfront payment, it's actually getting paid for that. So you can start the work. Yeah, that's a sign of commitment, isn't it? It really is. It it really makes the likelihood of doing the work <laughs> much higher. So yeah, and I do advocate for anywhere where you can get advanced payment is good because that sort of clears any path between you and helping the client. Yeah, I think so too. And so tell us, if we were to look at a process, when does closing start? When do you think the process of closing a deal starts and why do you think that is? Yeah. So the part that I found a lot of new professionals skipped is they thought it started when you actually were in front of the prospective client. And in reality, a good chunk of the work happens well before that. So, and I I won't go into this in detail because you talk about this extremely well, which is the first is who you choose. (laughs) So Picking high likelihood prospects, those prospects that are more likely to, you're going to be able to get a meeting with, you already know that you have things that match what they have a demand for. So picking the right folks to put yourself in front of increases the likelihood of closing a deal. The other is, is all of the preparation you need to do. And I actually, to this day, so I'm really good on the fly, but I never go into prospective clients, even if I know them. And even if I've done work for them before without doing pretty substantial homework. So, so you, the you don't home- do your prep work on the elevator ride up to their conference room? That's, you know- oh, Goodness, no, 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 no. I've I've given I've given many a new consultant the look (laughs) for not prepping ahead of time. Because what you want is you want you want it to to be free-flowing, but you want it choreographed. You don't want chaos. And even really seasoned people, if you don't do your prep ahead of time, you will end up babbling and watching yourself babble and wonder why you're doing it. You will miss the mark with them. You'll talk about things that they don't care about. So everything you do ahead of time basically is laying a foundation for increasing the likelihood that something you're going to talk about resonates with them and you're you're going to know how to say it in a coherent way. And you're going to, before you walk in the room, orient towards them. So the homework you do is to gain a better understanding of who they are and what they care about, the types of stuff they're struggling with any context in which they operate. So major shifts in the market, opportunities, threats. And I want to highlight 
I do this even if I know someone. So the first client I ever got that I closed a deal with and ended up being a long-term client of mine, Mm -hmm. I met with multiple times. And because I knew them, I didn't think I had to take this step. And I never got business until I said, I need to treat this like, like, like I'm a big kid trying to get a gig. And I did that homework and I was much more prepared to walk in. So it's looking at the things that are surrounding them, the things that they might care about enough to pay for getting help to solve, mapping it to the things that you can actually do. I like to look at whether it's videos or things that they've published, if there's anything that shows me the language that they use to talk about things, because I want to be able to mirror some of that in a room because it signals that you, one, you did your homework and two, that you, you get who they are. Let me ask you this. What's an example of that? The language that they use, what would be an example that you've seen in your experience? So in the healthcare sector where I work, different types, so I work with a lot of provider types, hospitals, you know, health centers, behavioral health providers, they all have different language that they use when they're talking about, for example, a major shift in payment that's happening in the world. So some perceive it as a threat, some perceive it as their ticket to success and everything in between. I need to know how that organization talks about it publicly so that I can use their language that's going to resonate with them. I see. I see. So let me ask you this, and and I like this topic of doing the prep work. We could spend two or three sessions just on this, right? (laughs) Exactly. So, So let me ask you this. You have a new lead for a prospect. Let's say a former client of yours referred you to another organization, a friend of his from a trade association mentioned, I've got an issue. Well, you should call Deb. You've got a warm introduction. How do you do your prep work? What action steps do you take? to answer some of these great questions that you just shared, what do you do? Do you, and I'll kind of stop babbling. I'll I'll let you talk for a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. So this is a perfect example because this is how I got my last client. So I'm working with someone now that was referred actually by a lawyer at a firm that I work with quite a bit. And he and I have, have given each other business quite a bit. So he referred me brand new client. They didn't know anything about me and they were in a market that, I did not have name recognition. So the first thing I did is obviously I looked at their website and I gained an understanding of who they are because they're under particular state regulations and structures. I actually looked up what those are so that I understood because it involves payment. I dug into, I found an institute that had analyzed the type of of payment and sort of the pluses and minuses with it and some of the issues they were having. So I dove into whatever I could find about the particular type of entity they are that's operating in a particular market. Then what I did is I actually talked to my, my friend who referred me and said, so what are they struggling with? And he told me, and I laughed because I said, yeah, no, now I know why you sent me to them because one of my specialties is, is helping groups of people or different entities come together and be able to actually make decisions. So I got intel from him about, you know, what it is that they particularly need. Again, I looked for some of the language that they're using on the website to see what are the types of things that they care about. And then, and this was one of the most important things is I came up with very specific questions that I was going to ask when I was on the phone with them. And the questions that I ask are for three reasons. First of all is to demonstrate my knowledge because this again was in a a different 
market than I typically operate in. And I, and they knew that, and I wanted them to understand that I understood who they were and, and their situation. The second reason to ask questions is to truly get a better understanding of the nuances of, you know, what they're struggling with, what they're hoping to achieve, what they have a demand for, so that I could really tease out the specific ways that I could help them. And then the third reason, and this is the one I think that is often the most powerful, is I also have questions that are deliberately to pivot the conversation if I need to. So for example, if I knew why they were calling me for this one, but if I'm talking to a particular client and it's someone I know, and we're talking about, you know, COVID and we're talking about our dogs and we're talking about our cats and our kids and all of that, but I need to, I need it to pivot towards what I could potentially help them with. I will ask questions that pivot the conversation. So in the first client I ever got, I said, you know, this is the major shift that is happening in your market. How are you folks preparing for that? And that question now got us into the Mm. conversation about what they were struggling with, what they were trying to achieve, and what they have a demand that they're actually willing to pay for. You can use the questions to kind of lead them forward to the path that you by shining the flashlight in front of them. That's right. And it's it's also things that highlight you understand what's happening in their market. So I came up with very specific questions I was going to ask. I did ask some questions that I knew would make them laugh because I... (laughs) I'm, I can't resist. And so I did ask, so you have all these partners around the table. Are there feelings? Are people having feelings? And they just started laughing. They're like, yeah, there's a lot of feelings. <laughs> so that enabled me then to ask other questions about the dynamics, which demonstrated that I, I understood how to manage dynamics. And it also gave me a clear idea of how much effort this was going to take to get them to their goal. Wow. That's great. That is significant what you just said. I would say this is very much the way one would lead cats forward. If we were to look at <laughs> this isn't how you lead dogs. Dogs, you just say, go here. It's right. like uh, you got to herd cats. You dangle the feather toy with the bell on it in front of them. They look and they choose to go over there. And it was their idea. Uh, so it's, uh, That's right. And you girls. know, and you know I know how to herd cats because I That's got five right. I rescue cats in the room with me today. That's correct. Please but, don't misconstrue that I'm anti-dog. I am pro-cat as well and pro-dog. <laughs> That's right. We can all get along. Yeah, I think the uh, nuance, I mean, there's a lot of nuance to what you, yes. just, you just talked about here. And did you have something else to add? I had another question about- Yeah, there was actually two other things that I I do to prep all the time. So the first is I also anticipate what some of the objections might be. So I don't want to wait until I'm in the room and they say something. I'm like, oh, well, golly, I haven't thought of that. There are typical objections that folks have. It's price, it's time frame, it's the approach, it's the scope. I anticipate what some of those might be so that I can either say what I'm going to say that handles them before they arise, or I know how I'm going to respond to them if they arise. I never, I never want to be surprised. And then the second thing I do, this seems kind of small, but it's make or break it, which is I practice how I introduce myself and I practice how I describe myself. Now I've been consulting for over 10 years. You'd think, Hey, Deb, haven't you got that nailed down? But I adjust it for everybody I'm in front of because it's about them. It's not about me. And that includes my introduction. And I practice it so that I really develop almost like the muscle memory, like practicing a golf swing. (laughs) 
I want the muscle memory of being able to just have it flow out of my mouth. And again, I'm really good on the fly. And anytime I haven't done this, babbling and being incoherent is sort of the default setting. It's too easy to slip into that. So I always tell people, practice it ahead of time. It's nice. It's tight. It focuses on value for them and then stop talking. I think that's a great idea. One thing I'd like to add is that I've noticed that if I'm ever in a client meeting and I feel like I'm on the cusp of turning into Jojo the Idiot Circus Boy, where I'm just going to start <laughs> rambling and babbling, which, which is my default, I focus on key questions that link me and anchor me to a state that's right. of ability. And one of those is, what steps have you taken so far to solve that problem? That's like my generic Love it. question I can pull and use that kind of brings me back into the phase of a mature professional adult rather than the adolescent eighth grade boy that lives deep within me. So That's right. <laughs> and, it's, and it's planned for your weaknesses. So if you know you do that, then you plan ahead of time accordingly so that you've got something in your pocket ready to go. Yeah, I think that's great. And one thing I just thought of this, I, I want to have a part two of the podcast back to back. So those that are listening, we have gone through question number one. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and so are you okay with that, Deb? Can we do another yeah. one? After? Okay. Okay. So let me ask you this then. Uh, let's talk about strategies for closing a deal. Once you're in front of a prospective client, what are some of the key strategies you'd recommend those in the business of, of professional services, sales, have to focus on. You got it. So one of the first things I tell folks is that every experience a prospective client has with you tells them what it's going to be like to work with you. Mm. And you have to know that because you're not just there to say smart, helpful things. You're also there to make sure that they have a good experience. So when they're meeting with you, you know that people have annoying meetings all the time. You want your meeting to be the easiest, most enjoyable meeting they've had in a long time. <laughs> and that means in the COVID world, figure out your technology. So I'm amazed that we're this far into COVID and most meetings that are virtual are still starting with, wait, you're on mute. Can you hear me? Mm -hmm. All that annoying stuff, your job is to make sure none of that happens and you've got everything set up and it's easy to do. And then you want to you want to nail their opening and then pivot towards orienting towards them because they care about them and you want to show them that you care about you. So then the other thing, and this is sort of the, you know, all encompassing tip is talk less and listen more. It's not about you. It's about them. I've actually gotten business by saying something at the beginning, maybe saying a little something in between, saying a little something at the end, and otherwise they talk the whole time and they left thinking it was the best meeting they ever had because no one else listens to them. Right. So orient towards them. And, and if you need tricks to stop yourself from going on and on, then figure out what those are. But then it is to, again, ask those very specific questions. So I love your question. Like the generic questions are things like, oh, what keeps you up at night, which should never come out of anybody's <laughs> mouth ever again, because it shows I didn't care enough to figure out who you are and, and what you care about. But really ask them questions that not just reveal things that they're already thinking about, but also have them dive a little bit deeper into it so that if you walk out of that room or if you turn off the Zoom, they've already gotten value 
out of doing something with you because mm-hmm. now they're thinking about it in a different way. Now they're understanding, oh, wait, that's right. We did try that. That didn't work. It does make sense to switch what we're doing. So make sure that they actually get some value and then have real world relevant examples and proof of results that you can point to because, you know, as the old adage is, is, you know, people buy results. They aren't necessarily buying your process. And so you want to be able to point to things that give them confidence that you can actually achieve the outcome they want. And then a lot of what I do when I'm in the room is I frame things. So they tell me, I ask questions, they tell me a whole bunch of of things. And then I say things like, so it sounds like the biggest priority is this, but these things are related to it. Does that sound right? You're kind of summarizing, you're kind of synthesizing everything that was shared and making sure they're on board with that. Is that right? Making sure they're on board with it. But also what I find is people are so busy and they're, and particularly now so stressed out, they might not have time to actually put everything together in a coherent whole. So I'm doing that step-by-step and it's actually really soothing. Hmm. And so I want them to feel relief (laughs) that, okay, she gets me. She understands what we're trying to get to. And I feel like she's on top of it. Like she'll take care of it and she'll work with us to achieve it. And by framing sort of step-by-step and summarizing it, it shows that that you're going to be able to do all of those things. You know, it's this is something, I think, think of it like a doctor going, you go to visit a doctor, you've got a certain issue and you don't want the doctor to say, well, Deb, what, what do you think we should do? <laughs> And you want the doctor that has that air of authority where he or she says, I've seen this before. I don't know with certainty what it is, but we're going to run a series of tests. And there's three different things we can do. If it's this, there's two different things we can do if it's this. And I have another patient, you know, and what I think what you just said, because the person that's in the doctor's office, there's an emotional context to that pain, literally. That's and right. almost the exact same thing. If we take that mindset and we adopt it to a consultant, a lawyer, a headhunter, a salesperson that's selling high-level services, they're talking with their client prospect. They need to kind of put that model in their mind that they're there not to pitch, but to prescribe and to that's prescribe right. solutions. And I think what that's you right. just said, and there's a couple of things you said, I think that are great. And this is one of the reasons why I love this show doing this show is I've got pages and pages of notes and people I just sit at your feet and and I'm taking that. I'm using that today. Anyway, so you talked about talk less and listen more. Yeah. But I think there the concept of emotional awareness and knowing how do we affect other people and how do we get out of our own head so that it's not me, 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 it's you, you, you. It's the kind of person that comes to a party. Are they the kind of person that says, hey everyone, here I am, or are they the person that says, hey, there you are. And how do you think professionals listening to this now, what what can you give them in terms of ideas or action steps to kind of change, to learn how to talk less and listen more? Yeah, well, so self-reflection and self-awareness are one of the most powerful tools you can have as a consultant. The most successful consultants I know have that and then cultivate that awareness and reflection in themselves. So the first thing is you can do some of it during prep is I've actually had people videotape themselves describing what they do or describing their introduction. 
And then you can look back at it when there's no stakes, like there's, there's nothing, if, if anything, if you did anything bad, it doesn't matter the ways that you're orienting towards yourself versus orienting to them. So one of the common mistakes folks make in introductions, or even if they're doing any kind of outreach to their network is they start to list their resume. No one cares. Right. I mean, I'm telling you, unless <laughs> no one cares about what your resume looks like. If they cared, they would have asked you for it and right. they might ask you for it later. But what they care about is how what you do relates to them. Mm. And that's your that's your introduction. And if you're not sure or you feel like you might be doing it wrong, videotape yourself, look at it, maybe ask a few people for feedback if you're brave enough to do that. But look at how many times you turn the attention back to yourself and then figure out ways that you can minimize that. That's a great idea. So you talked about framing. What what do you mean by that exactly? So framing is, again, I think a powerful tool where the client, and I often find this, they might be saying a whole bunch of different things but they're not put, the puzzle hasn't been put together. They're just puzzle pieces. And so what I do when I frame things is I put some of the puzzle pieces together and say, so here's what picture we're starting to get. Okay. Does that sound right to you? What are the puzzle pieces, you know, that, that you're missing, but Mm -hmm. I have to sort of step-by-step make sure that they're really clear what the process is. So even, and I'm thinking of a recent engagement they were really clear what outcome they wanted to achieve, but they weren't clear about the paths and dependencies that would have to be addressed in order to achieve that outcome. So as we were talking sort of step-by-step, I would say, so it sounds like you have three big dependencies in order to achieve that outcome. There are these three. Does that sound right? And they often find that so extremely helpful because they haven't had the time often to sit down and put the puzzle together themselves. And I liked how you just said this. And I'm taking that when I'm talking to my people working with candidates, a lot of times I'll recruit a partner and I'll ask them, what is there anything on their mind that's causing him or her to be open? And sometimes there is, sometimes they're just curious. But I like what you said, puzzle pieces. That's a kinesthetic, tangible way to describe. We all have played puzzles. Is there any missing puzzle piece in your situation that if filled, it would create whatever for you? And I think that's just a great takeaway. Exactly. Everybody can take when they're talking to their client. The talk of it as puzzle pieces. Because sales, whether you're selling a product or a service, it's all about providing a solution. And if you kind of rephrase that in a kinesthetic way, And I love the ideas that you just gave about being able to to reiterate and frame it back, get that agreement. It's going to be a balm for them. It's going to be very soothing for them. And I think what we talked about before and something I want to talk more about later on with you is just the emotional context of that. Yes. And so, Deb, let me let me kind of pause right right here because we're pretty much out of time and we got halfway through question number two. So so we're going to have (laughs) what we'll do. We'll have this back to back. The podcast for everybody listening, you'll hear Deb on the next one as well. And so before we go, Deb, we're going to put all of your contact information on the show notes and then the action steps we talk about. We'll kind of table that to the end of the next show. But tell everybody listening, what are the offerings and services that you have if people wanted to reach out to you that could be helpful to them? You bet. So I have a number of things. So if you go to craftofconsulting.com, you'll you'll find everything. So I have 
free tools that you can download. So for example, I actually have a checklist for how to prepare for a prospective client meeting that basically you you check off all of those things. You're going to be well-prepared and then other tools like, well, what if they push back on the price? How do you handle that? I have all of that information there. I do have a podcast as well, craftofconsulting.com, where I also get to interview really smart people like yourself who, (laughs) who tell me things that make me better. And then I do have a number of other offerings. So I have some free webinar trainings on how to become a consultant, how to price your consulting services. And then I have some paid offerings, how to get consulting clients. I've got a short webinar that gives you the overview. I've got an eight module course that takes you step-by-step and has all the tools you need from beginning to end to get clients. And then for a few number of folks, I do do some direct coaching. I work with folks who, you know, are brand new or stuck in their consulting business and they just need to figure out a way to, to get things in order and make things work. This is great, Deb. I'm glad we had you on the show. We're going to have you on the next podcast. So for everybody listening, you can just go to the, or you'll have to wait till the next one comes out, of course, but you'll be able to go to that next one to hear more about this topic with Deb. Deb Zahn, thanks for joining me on the show today. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. For more information about our recruiting services for international law firms, visit our website at attorneysearchgroup.com. To inquire about having Scott speak at your next convention, conference, sales meeting, or executive retreat, visit therainmakingpodcast.com.